Welcome back to 52 Founders. I'm Chrissy Costa, and with me this week is Carolyn Witte, founder and CEO of TIA, a personal private women's health advisor. Think of Tia as the cool aunt you turn to when faced with questions you can't ask anywhere else. Carolyn grew up as a supporter of women's rights, but it was her own health struggles that led to the creation of Tia. Both her confidence and product vision left me compelled to download and use Tia after our discussion, and I haven't been disappointed. She's got a great story to tell, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. And with that, here's Carolyn. Carolyn, thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm so excited to have you. Super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So let's start talking about Tia and what the idea is. Sure. So Tia at its core is a next-gen women's healthcare company uh, for millennial women by millennial women. And we believe that last part is really critical to what we're trying to do. Our goal is really to build a trusted relationship with women in a way that helps women make more informed healthcare decisions for their own bodies and lives with confidence. So what is the opportunity here that you're seeing from a business point of view? Sure. So we talk about millennial women, 40 million women in the U.S. as one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful demographic in the U.S. When you think about healthcare decisions and healthcare dollars, women spend 80% of the healthcare dollars in this country. Yet the healthcare system from our perspective is very much not designed for women. There's a lot of a dearth of products and services and, a, and the sort of systemic, the system as a whole isn't, real, isn't really set up for the way that women want to make healthcare decisions. So our vision really is to rethink healthcare from the ground up and create a new interaction model for care designed around the way millennial women make decisions with the goal of helping women make better decisions and ultimately spend dollars in a way that helps improve their healthcare. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like this is part of a larger trend I keep seeing between technology and women's health. I think, you know, a lot of decisions we do make right now are very antiquated. Even the way we go to the doctor is a pain in the ass, to be honest, just, you know, calling up the doctor, making the appointment and say, you just have a quick question. I think, especially in the case of women's health, what you don't want to do is Google and go down a rabbit hole and, you know, go get stuck in WebMD for advice, which is probably not correct totally. in the first place. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Tia is very much aims to solve the, you know, the Googling your healthcare symptom we see that I would say applies to healthcare at large, but specifically to women's health. Uh, I think one of our core insights is we believe that, you know, the healthy 20 something year old women has higher frequency of healthcare needs than their average 27 year old man. Um, just due to, due to the nature of the decisions that women have to make every day. If you take birth control every month because of your cycle, you have extra doctor's appointments, extra doctors that a man doesn't have, from, you know, pap smear, you know, going to a gynecologist, et cetera. And as a result of that, that, sort of the lack of personalization and the friction sort of between patients and care providers affect women at uh, what we believe at more severe rates. So TIA very much aims to bring much needed personalization into healthcare and, and be the answer to the one size fits all WebMD answer that really is subpar when it comes to um, helping women get information about their healthcare and make better healthcare decisions. So I love that answer just because growing up, it always felt like women's health was a taboo issue. I think now we're starting to see that conversation change, but I can't imagine, you know, it's easy being a female entrepreneur trying to raise money about a women's health company. You know, a lot of it's just getting used to talking about vaginas, very frankly, just all of our oh, yeah. uh, the needs that come with women. So what has that experience been like? 
Yeah, it's been a journey, I'd say. And <laughs> so for me, I started TN very much, very much to solve my own pain points as, as a female, as a patient, as a user. I went through a series of my own reproductive healthcare struggles that got me super fed up with the healthcare system as is. And so in pitching to investors, you know, I always, I start with my own story and it's taken mm -hmm. a while for me to come to get comfortable in sharing, you know, what feels like the innermost part of my ovaries with a, you know, a room of male investors about why mm -hmm. I think healthcare is so messed up and not designed for women. So I'd say it's taken a, a while to, to get there. And, but at the same time, on the flip side, you know, it comes from a place of authenticity that is, is hard to challenge. And I think that shines through. And there's, I would say, a growing, you know, respect and admiration for people who start companies from a place of, you know, you know, real passion and, and with this mission-driven, you know, goal. And that connection, I think, for me and, and for Tia really shines through. Yes, definitely. But it, it is hard to share. So thank you for doing that. And so, totally. you know, speaking of you, let's talk about you in general. So where did you grow up? Where are you from? Sure. I grew up in Southern California in a beach town called Laguna Beach. You may have heard of it. And yeah. uh, then my past, uh, I went to college on the East Coast and then moved back to San Francisco and then to New York City and then moved back here ultimately when I decided to jump into startup world and, and leave my job about a year ago. Interesting. Did you ever think about going to LA given how, you know, everyone's calling it like the next big tech hub? Surprisingly, no. You know, I haven't lived in Southern California since high school and it's a great place to go home to, but I, I love the Bay Area and when decided, I was actually living in New York when I left my job and just started, really started TN. It was a real question of, do I want to do it there or San Francisco was really what I was deciding between. And given all that's going on with health tech in New York, part of me was um, interested in exploring that there, but I think San Francisco was the right move. Yeah. Why do you say that? That's interesting. So for me, it's mostly personal reasons, to be honest. I mean, there's like something to be said for you know, investors and in, in the climate in Silicon Valley, though, we have, you know, investors, I would say maybe more investors in New York than in, in the Bay Area, believe it or not. So for me, it wasn't really around, a, a, the decision wasn't really about like, where is Tia going to be set up for success, but really where am I going to be set up for success and proximity to my friends and family and green things and the outdoors were high on my list of things when I was thinking about all the things I needed to be successful in starting a company. Got it. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's good to always consider, you know, your mental state of health as well when you want to, you know, where you <laughs> want to live. I think, I think it's funny just because a lot of the people I talk to in the show only at least give me their professional decisions and leave out the personal side of things. But I do think it is obviously an enormous factor. So yeah. what did your parents do for a living growing up? Yeah. So my dad did a hodgepodge mix of things, working a little bit on the investment side and, and in real estate more recently. So he's worked with entrepreneurs his whole life and very much uh, in early stage companies and was very much a role model for me and a big champion for me in starting Tia. My mom um, was very involved in you know, women's health and reproductive rights issues. I, I grew up going to Planned Parenthood meetings at like age 13. <laughs> um, and so it was very much in my blood, this idea of, you know, building a company to help women make uh, informed decisions that they feel good about. So Tia is very much a hybrid of a lot of the sort of role models I had in my family and in my surrounding people that surrounded me growing up and, and the culture in which I grew up in. It's interesting you bring up Planned Parenthood because I, I'm, you know, I'm such a big supporter of the organization. I think it does amazing things for women, but given the political climate lately, did you feel an extra need for Tia to exist as that resource for women because, it, you know, it's so uncertain what would happen to Planned Parenthood, for example, and things like that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I made the decision to start Tia before the election when I thought the world was going one way and it went another way. So, but that said, you know, when I was still in the early days and when I woke up, you know, on November 5th or whatever it was and realized that everything I thought was going to happen didn't happen and that all the things I really believed in, you know, women's health, women's rights, Planned Parenthood were suddenly very much threatened. It really gave me a lot of, a lot more additional purpose, I'd say, in, in the mission that we're trying to achieve and felt like we really needed to double down on what we're doing and really focus on sort of getting our product out there, being a platform that champion choice that works with providers like Planned Parenthood to help deliver care at a, at a time and change the conversation at a time when women's health care and women's, you know, ability to make their own healthcare decisions, which is, you know, the real ethos of what tea is about is so, is so threatened. Yes, definitely. And I love that you grew up going to those meetings. I think that's a super unique background. You know, obviously I was aware of Planned Parenthood in high school, but if you think about, you know, even though tea is for the millennial woman, if you think about what at least my healthcare growing up of, you know, you're in high school and you're learning about like sexual health from your gym teacher or, you know, whoever. It's just, it's funny that now if you grew up with the internet, you expect these resources to be there. And it's interesting that they might not be there. So it's great to see Tia entering the space. Yeah. I'd say on the sex ed piece, one thing, you know, I didn't start Tia to solve the sex education problem, to be honest, but I've become increasingly more apparent about uh, or aware about how like totally messed up sex education or maybe just non-existent it is really in this country, both in terms of the questions we see from our users and the realities on the ground, which is that only 13 states in the country are required to have uh, medically valid sex education. Oh, wow. States. So if you think about that and you think about, you know, that more, you know, more teenagers have Snapchat and smartphones than a doctor, like, what do you think is happening? Where, do, where are people getting information? And so I think there's like a blessing in the curse of the internet in this way, uh, both in terms of a source that can potentially, you know, cause a spiral of misinformation and sort of the myth busting piece of what we do is hugely important. Um, but also on the flip side, you think it's a platform to really help empower, you know, not just women, but, you know, men and women about like sex education, what they should know about their own bodies around sex, what happens, the pleasure, the the risks, everything in a world in which very, very, very few teenagers today are actually getting that sex education. Yeah. It's funny though. It's not even just teenagers. I've been playing around with Tia now and it reminds me of, you know, I just graduated business school and I was lucky enough to make some really brilliant like female friends. And we were talking about, you know, IUDs and if we should get them Mm -hmm. and what are the risks. And it's only because I have a group of friends who are going through the same experience. So Tia reminds me kind of of an extension of those friends. And luckily my friends are very open about it and they would share their experiences, but otherwise that's basically was my only resource to figuring out what I wanted to do. And then being like, Oh, maybe I should consider these options. You know, as I'm turning 30 this year, what kind of family planning do I want? Things like that. But, you know, it's otherwise I would have had to Google these things. And so it's really great. I see yeah. Tia as a friend that you might have. And so where does the uh, the name come from? Yeah. So I named Tia Tia after aunt in Spanish and describe her as, you know, she's like your cool aunt who's smarter than your best <laughs> friend, but not your mom and the person you turn to when shit hits the fan. And she's symbolic for important woman in your life. And, you know, this sort of speaks to my background and approach to building products and building companies. But we had, we had a, you know, this massive archetype developed of Tia and who she was, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty nuances of her persona, you know, the fact that she says birth control instead of contraception, the fact that she says, you know, 
when did this go down in, in terms versus when did you have unprotected sex? Like all of those nuances were figured out far before we had a real working product. Mm-hmm. And our big bet and our, you know, our approach to rethinking women's health is all about building that trusted relationship with women and think, you know, the TIA archetype, what TIA represents. Yeah, metaphorically is very much missing what's missing from healthcare today. And we, yes. you know, our users have responded extraordinarily well to this. They personify T in ways I never could have imagined and talk about her as her trusted wing woman or gal pal or their BFF with an MD, sort of like to speak to what you're saying about, you know, your perception and, and how you, the comments, the conversations you have with TR ones that you might've had in a very close, intimate group of friends. And that's really the role that we want to play is, you know, your trusted confidant. And Tia, both her vo- her voice and tone in the product, in terms of the, you know the words she uses, the emojis she uses, as well as her visual identity and these you know bright um, curvy colors motifs, are very much designed very intentionally to represent this sort of symbolic woman in your life that you can turn to always and without judgment. Yeah. And by the way, your design is absolutely beautiful. I'm obsessed with it. Thank but you. <laughs> it's funny though. I have been noticing a lot of it is focused on contraception right now. And so where mm-hmm. do you see Tia expanding to? Like when you had your grand vision, when you started, I'm sure it wasn't just contraception. So I'd love to hear more about kind of where you see it going. Yeah. So we have a, you know, this very big vision to reimagine women's health, as I mentioned. I, and when I started to, the question was, where do we start? Do we start in fertility, period tracking, birth control? Like, what's the starting point? Um, and in part due to my own experiences about not, around not being able to find the right birth control and, and you know, my friends' experiences and a lot of re- user research I did around uh, this topic um, with women across the reproductive age spectrum decided to start with birth control really as our wedge into the market. It's a decision that 99% of sexually active women will make at least once in their life. It's also one that has like basically no personalization in it. It's, it blows my mind that, you know, tens of millions of women take birth control in this country, yet essentially no data is collected all around their experiences, both in terms of side effects, longitudinal data about how birth control affects things like fertility, cancer, et cetera. Um, and can we be this you know, powerhouse that collects that data in a powerful way and uses that to help women better find the right birth control for their individual needs? So, you know, V1 of TIA was very much, I went down this birth control rabbit hole. I was like obsessed with building the very best matchmaker to help women find the right birth control for them. But what we saw very quickly was, you know, that birth control, you know, wasn't just an isolated pain point, but it was really the linchpin to every other issue that women face around their healthcare. And interestingly for for me and what our personally and and our vision of trying to build a women's health platform and make TIA the starting place for women's healthcare online, it's birth control is the the connective tissue to non-clinical issues, everything from what you do on Saturday night, your career decisions, you know, STDs, your cycle, to highly clinical things like fertility, infertility, endometriosis, PCOS, et cetera. I and mean, for that reason, we felt it was the right way, entryway into the market. But over time, we looked, we're looking to build out TIA's expertise, so to speak, uh, to cover a wide range of women's health verticals from fertility and infertility to postpartum, sex, wellness, you know, stress in your cycle and beyond. Yeah. And hopefully as we age, you can cover menopause as well, because all we hear are basically <laughs> horror stories from our parents <laughs> and not true. parents. It's, I mean, I mean, mothers. <laughs> it's funny. The amount of, we've had like a, a crazy number of requests for Tia for menopause. It's pretty hilarious. 
um, the amount of people. I mean, and it, like, talk about another taboo topic that no one talks oh, about that's entirely misunderstood, where everyone's freaking out and being like, am I the only one experiencing these crazy symptoms? I'd say, like, the single thing, like, we're trying to combat is this this sentiment that women feel like they're the only one that has this crazy question or this crazy issue. And one of the things that's so powerful that we see on our side of the product is, um, you know, we collect this aggregate data around women's healthcare needs. Um, but importantly, as what I'm super fascinated in is the emotions behind those, you know, those needs. How do women feel? Not just what are they doing or not doing, but what is the sentiment that's driving or preventing them from making a decision? Um, and how can we use that to rethink healthcare and build a new system that really empowers women to be their own drivers of their own healthcare? Yeah. And a lot of it is just bringing the conversations to lay. I think, you know, yeah. unluckily for our mom, well, maybe not for years, given you were going to the Planned Parenthood meeting, but again, it's not common for them at least to talk to their girlfriends about it. So I think it's like a very isolating experience, which is hilarious when you think about half the world is going through this. Totally. So, you know, you mentioned the user experience and the mindset, and I'd love to talk about what you were doing before at Google and how that has translated to being a founder. Absolutely. So my, I was very lucky to start my career at Google. I spent a couple of years on the brand marketing side and then more recently led a product design team at a group called the Creative Lab in New York. And the big theme of my time there was working on search and various iterations of search from the Google search app for iPhone, which we launched to voice search um, and launching the ability to have a conversation with Google out loud on all sorts of platforms from Android Wear to Glass to your phone to your car. More recently, the Gboard, which is a Google keyboard for your iPhone, that lets you search and send search results inside a messaging app. And then the Google Assistant as well, which gave me a lot of exposure to chat-based uh, interfaces. So it was a really interesting time to be there to really rethink how people are finding and accessing information in a world where you're not going to google.com anymore or not as much and typing in keywords. And what does that mean from an information platform perspective? Um, and TIA mm -hmm. as a product is very much, I would say, an outcome of my learnings at Google on search and what I saw both working and not working when it comes to how people are finding and accessing information. One of the insights that anecdotes that I heard over and over again in the user research I did before leaving Google uh, with women was I'd ask, I'd ask people, you know, when you have a question about your reproductive or sexual health, what do you do? Um, and time and time again, they'd say, well, I turn to Google, but I open an incognito window because I don't want ads for egg freezing in the morning after pillar STD <laughs> testing following you on the internet, or I don't want my boyfriend to take my phone and see what I search. Like, you know, when you're like drunk search pizza at 3 a.m. And then the next day, it's like there in the search box. Like everyone is like hyper aware of these instances. And so when building and designing Tia, our whole premise was, can we build a private non-ad supported platform that lets people, you know, share intimate details about their, about their life and their health in a way that um, allows them to get better, more accurate information and do it in this sort of safe space, uh, separate from sort of the current uh, information platforms that are out there. And so you're at Google though, when did you realize that it was time to leave to start your own thing? Did you ever think about being an entrepreneur before that? Or were, was it more of the idea made you do it? It was definitely the idea. I loved my job. I had the best job in the world. It was fantastic. Well, until now, which I now I have the best job in the world. But um, <laughs> I, I was not one of those people that there's a lot of these people at Google who, you know, were just were there to, you know, using Google as their launch pad to learn. It's amazing, a really amazing place to learn and figure out how to build awesome products and, and then go do their own thing. That was never really my intention. I sort of thought about entrepreneurship, but it wasn't really, I didn't like wake up one day being like, I'm going to start a company. The idea really fell in my lap after my own 
you know, reproductive healthcare issues that I was facing. You know, for me, it was really like, I, as I mentioned, like I grew up around these issues and always cared about them in my personal life, but it wasn't something that I faced. And until I, truthfully, until I faced them, did I like, it was, you know, the, it really forced me to hold up the mirror and realize how broken healthcare was. And that this is a problem that, you know, if I couldn't figure this out, I Google insurance, the most access to care, the most access information yet was having, mm-hmm. you know, this really, really stressful health, you know, several year long healthcare struggle. And so if I couldn't figure it out, how does anybody figure it out? And sort of that obsession with solving this problem is really what got me to leave. Um, and I did have this moment one day when I was in New York before work, I used to like run around and meet with all these different people working at health tech companies and, and pick people's brains. I was like trying to learn everything I could about healthcare and, and decide if I really wanted to do this. And I had this moment where I was like leaving a coffee date with someone and I had to go to work at the creative lab, which is most magical place ever and it felt like I like had to go work at an insurance company or something like I was like couldn't like switch gears like mentally switch gears and go back to what really was a truly fantastic job and that's when I knew I had to leave and uh, really you know dive off the cliff so to speak so I guess my last question before we we end the uh the interview would be what has surprised you most given that you're a first-time founder so much (laughs) you know I thought it would be hard like I knew it would be hard. I, I think I've been shocked at how hard it has been, you know, emotionally, I'd say. And the challenge of, you know, being thinking 10 years ahead, 10 months ahead, 10 hours ahead, 10 minutes ahead, all at the same time. I think that's been like perhaps the biggest challenge that has been, you know, has involved a huge amount of personal growth to and continuous personal growth and struggle to be able to do that. And I think that's like the, the, the most important asset of any any entrepreneur is to be able to do that. I think the the switch from Google, where it had infinite resources, to scrappy startup life was definitely tough. Is tough for sure, but has you know forced me to be really creative and really think on uh, think about the E over I equation, the effort over impact. I talk a lot about you know for myself and for my team and how to focus on mm-hmm. the right things. Um, there's so many things you yeah. can be doing every day, but how do we how do we really focus on the things that matter? Yeah, definitely. And so we're going to end the interview with a few fun questions. So sure, we'll start off with what is another startup that you really love? And I say, I'm going to say a brand because I'm a brand person. I guess they're not a startup anymore, <laughs> but Outdoor Voices, I'm a huge fan of them. I think I love them uh, too. Tyler oh is amazing. I think they've done yeah. an incredible job of bringing a brand to life in the real world and something, some, a brand that I really admire and seek to emulate and how we think about activating TIA in real life um, and not just breaking taboos in an app, but breaking taboos in the real world. Yeah, I'm a big fan of their um, clothing. I need to go to their store in New York. That's like on my list of things to do now that I'm back home. (laughs) Uh, And so finally, if you could interview one founder, who would you want to interview and why? Ooh, this is a tough one. I would love to interview Elizabeth Holmes. Okay. I was the biggest fan girl. She burst my startup bubble. And I am dying to know what's going on in her head. Oh, I love that. That is such a good answer because a lot of people pick entrepreneurs I feel are very transparent already, but you know, with the Theranos story, there was just so much behind the scenes. And I've actually spoken to a few early investors and people related to the company. And they honestly are across the gambit on their opinions on what happened. So, you know, it is something that it's like the journalistic spark. You want to know what happened because it was so promising two years ago. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's a great answer. Well, thank you so much for being on my show today, Carolyn. Thank you. 
All right, that's a wrap on episode 42 of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com. And as always, follow us on Twitter to stay up to date. I'm Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week as we start the final 10 episodes. Thank you.